Hey listeners, this is Neil from Book of Mormon Central, and today's podcast addresses the question, Why was Joseph Smith murdered? On July 27, 1844, Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were butchered by a mob in Carthage jail. This was not a spontaneous or unexpected event. Joseph himself anticipated that he went as a lamb to the slaughter, and had in fact feared for his life for at least several months, perhaps longer. And he had good reason to fear. There was, in fact, a murderous plot to have him and his brother kidnapped and killed. According to the recent analysis of legal scholar Joseph I. Bentley, the key Nauvoo apostates were a trio of brothers, William and Wilson Law, Robert and Charles Foster, and Francis and Chauncey Higby. They colluded with prominent anti-Mormons such as Thomas Sharp, a newspaper editor in the nearby town of Warsaw. Whether or not they hatched a well-planned conspiracy, Bentley argues, they undoubtedly went forward acting deliberately and concertedly. They acted through a series of legal maneuvers that were intentionally designed for the purpose of placing Joseph Smith's life in mortal danger in Carthage. By early 1844, the plan was to file legal charges against Joseph and Hiram in Carthage, Illinois, the location of the Hancock County Circuit Court, thereby forcing Joseph out of his stronghold in Nauvoo to address the legal matters. At one point, Dan Jones overheard the leaders of this group say that they did not expect to prove anything against Joseph, but that they had 18 accusations against him, and as one failed, they would try another to detain him in Carthage. Then, anti-Mormon mobs whipped up into a frenzy by charged rhetoric published by Sharp and others in various newspapers across the state, would seize the opportunity to execute the prophet and his brother in an act of what they perceived as vigilante justice. This plan was put into action as early as February 26, 1844, when the Law Brothers and their collaborators instituted or appealed a series of lawsuits to Carthage. Already at this point, Joseph suspected a darker plot at work than merely resolving legal differences. After those lawsuits were consolidated and dismissed, the dissenters initiated additional legal suits in May. Eventually, some of these were successful in getting Joseph out of Nauvoo, and thus he was in Carthage on May 27, 1844, exactly one month before his martyrdom. On that occasion, Charles Foster, one of the conspirators, evidently had a temporary change of heart and notified Joseph of a plan to have him assassinated the next day. With this advance notice... Joseph was able to muster well-enough armed troops from Nauvoo to guarantee Joseph's protection, and he subsequently returned home safely. Meanwhile, Thomas Sharp had been agitating against Joseph and stoking the anti-Mormon fires in his newspaper, The Warsaw Signal. On May 29th, he published an editorial declaring, We have seen and heard enough to convince us that Joe Smith is not safe out of Nauvoo, and we would not be surprised to hear of his death by violent means in a short time. He has deadly enemies. The feeling of this country is now lashed to its utmost pitch and will break forth in fury upon the slightest provocation. A little over a week later, the Nauvoo dissenters who had formed their own church launched their own newspaper, the Nauvoo Expositor, encouraging church members to come join them and publishing inflammatory content about Joseph and the church from within Nauvoo. The first and only issue of the Expositor was published on June 7, 1844. After two whole days of extensive deliberations, the Nauvoo City Council, which included Joseph Smith and 17 other high-profile leaders of the church, declared the paper a public nuisance, as they were legally authorized to do by the Nauvoo Charter, and ordered both the copies of the newspaper and the printing press to be peacefully destroyed.
Although this runs counter to present-day notions of the freedom of the press secured in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the actions of Joseph and the Council were legally sound and not unusual for the time. Other presses had been similarly treated in Springfield and Alton, Illinois, and also, of course, in Independence, Missouri. Nonetheless, the act generated an uproar throughout the country thanks to anti-Mormon agitators, and the owners of the expositor reacted by filing charges at Carthage, not for violating their freedom of the press, but allegedly for instigating a riot. Joseph initially used a writ of habeas corpus to get the case tried before the Nauvoo Municipal Court, which cleared him and the other 17 defendants of all charges. Naturally, this only served to further stoke anti-Mormon fervor as Joseph's critics felt he had used his home court to evade justice. On the advice of Jesse Thomas, the presiding circuit court judge in Carthage, Joseph and the others submitted to a second trial of the riot charge, this time outside Nauvoo before Justice Daniel H. Wells, a reputable non-Latter-day Saint justice of the peace living just outside Nauvoo. After a long hearing with examination and cross-examination of five witnesses for each side, all defendants were again discharged, but this failed to satisfy the agitated neighbors. Resolutions from mass meetings instigated by Thomas Sharp and the expositor publishers called for the invasion of Nauvoo and extermination of all Mormons. Sharp and others held rallies in their towns, fanned the flames with appearances by the Nauvoo apostates, and declared June 19th the date for the invasion of Nauvoo by several local militias. In reaction to this threat, Joseph declared martial law in Nauvoo, calling out the Nauvoo Legion to protect the city from invasion. The threatened invasion never came, and after Governor Ford met with Joseph's enemies in Warsaw and Carthage, he insisted that Joseph come to Carthage and stand trial yet again for the riot charge. The governor guaranteed Joseph that he would be protected. However, he insisted on disarming the Nauvoo Legion in order to keep the peace, but did not disarm the other militias at the same time. Once in Carthage, Joseph and other defendants were arraigned on the riot charge and posted bail when the Higbees deliberately failed to present witnesses and asked for the case to be rescheduled for September. Before Joseph and Hiram could leave Carthage, however, they were charged with treason for having declared martial law, yet another legal charge that lacked any legal merit, but was useful because treason was a non-bailable offense. This prevented Joseph and Hiram from leaving and left them trapped in Carthage jail, vulnerable to mob action. Inside the jail, Hiram read from the Book of Ether in the Book of Mormon, and Joseph bore a strong testimony to the guards of the truthfulness of the restoration of the Book of Mormon and of the visitations of angels. Outside, the mob, eventually numbering about 2,000, was able to mobilize, with people standing ready to join from Missouri, and then come to Carthage and assassinate Joseph and Hiram late in the afternoon of June 27, 1844. As Dallin H. Oaks, a legal scholar before being called as an apostle, and Marvin S. Hill wrote, The murder of Joseph and Hiram Smith at Carthage, Illinois, was not a spontaneous, impulsive act by a few personal enemies of the Mormon leaders, but a deliberate political assassination committed or condoned by some of the leading citizens in Hancock County. Nauvoo was the largest city in Illinois at the time, and Joseph was the mayor and a presidential candidate. Hiram was vice mayor and running for office in the state legislature. Politically, they were two of the most influential men in Illinois at the time. 
As such, their assassinations are not only important to Latter-day Saint history, but also the history of the state of Illinois. The men who colluded together to kill Joseph and Hiram had a diverse and complex set of motives for their actions. Thus, understanding why these two influential leaders were murdered is complex and involves numerous different factors. As Bentley explains, many factors contributed to the prophet's murder on June 27, 1844. Among these were fear of the Nauvoo Legion's power, perceived abuses related to powers granted under the Nauvoo Charter, political unrest caused by the rapidly increasing Mormon population in Hancock County, Illinois, and Lee County, Iowa, economic competition with some of the leading Mormon opponents, persisting grudges among some Missourians, rumors distorting the beginnings of the limited practice of plural marriage, criticism of Joseph's presidential campaign, and the concentration of legislative, judicial, executive, military, and religious power in one man, Joseph Smith. No doubt for each of the principal conspirators, one or more of these factors played a role in their decision to plot cold-blooded murder. Joseph and Hiram, meanwhile, went to their deaths nobly and with a clear conscience. In the immediate wake of their deaths, John Taylor wrote, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more save Jesus only for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that has ever lived in it. In the short space of twenty years, he has brought forth the Book of Mormon, which he translated by the gift and power of God, and has been the means of publishing it on two continents. He sent the fullness of the everlasting gospel, which it contained, to the four quarters of the earth, has brought forth the revelations and commandments which comprise this book of doctrine and covenants, and many other wise documents and instructions for the benefit of the children of men. It gathered many thousands of Latter-day Saints, founded a great city, and left a fame and a name that cannot be slain. He lived great and he died great in the eyes of God and his people." and like most of the Lord's anointed in ancient times, has sealed his mission and his works with his own blood. And so has his brother Hiram. In life they were not divided, and in death they were not separated. As Elder Jeffrey R. Holland observed, their willingness to ultimately go to their deaths with steadfast faith in the work they had accomplished stands as a potent witness of the truthfulness of the Restoration. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Book of Mormon, visit bookofmormoncentral.org and click on the Know Why tab.